0: Real Presence Live. Religion has understood things about the way humans function long before science
1: was able to prove anything. Local. It's always important for all of us to kind of look externally and say, what about these family? They are just like the Holy Family. They're experiencing the same persecution. Engaging. Jesus wants to be with us.
2: I always think of that as
0: at the heart of the Eucharist. Live. A mystery then of the rosary allows us to see a teaching of the church, but to be able to go deeper within that teaching. Praise be the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and welcome to another edition of Real Presence Live. As Father James Gross is coming to you uh, here from our uh, studios in beautiful downtown Grand Forks on the second uh, day, first full day of spring, and I'm joined by my classmate, my uh, colleague, Father Jason
3: Leffer. Good morning. Good morning, Father Gross. It is wonderful to be in studio once again.
0: It is good to, to for the dynamic duo to be reunited uh, after a, a couple of months' time here. So we have a lot of wonderful conversations to launch into to um, uh, share the beauty, the goodness, and the truth of our faith in Christ and His Holy Catholic Church. Before we do that, Father, I'm going to call upon you to lead us in prayer.
3: Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God, our Father in heaven, we praise you, uh, we worship you, we adore you, we glorify you. We thank and praise you for your word, Jesus Christ. Come now, Holy Spirit, Lord, and giver of life into our hearts, our minds, our memories, our imaginations. Awaken us spiritually. May we be able to receive the word, uh, to become the word, and be an expression of that word in this world. We ask all this through Christ our Lord, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: As we are in the season of Lent, we'll be talking more about that as well as many other topics. To give us a little sneak peek of what we have coming up this morning, let's turn things over to Gregory down in Command Central in Fargo.
4: Thanks, Father. So, coming up this morning, he's uh, be- he's best known for his widely translated and internationally acclaimed two-volume biography of Pope St. John Paul II. Better yet, George Weigel will be coming to the, to the local area for a special event. We'll hear more details for that event. And there's a special event coming up in the Diocese of Winona, Rochester to, to help support Immaculate Heart of Mary Seminary in Winona and the Seminarian, the seminarian Formation Program. Bishop John Quinn will show, share more about that. And is it important for youth to understand the way our political system works and to begin sharing their voices on important issues involving our Catholic views? Chris Herdebees thinks so, and he'll be with us to talk about a great opportunity for youth in the Diocese of Superior to do just that. All this and much more coming up this morning.
0: Thank you very much Gregory Let's not let another moment uh, pass uh, Father Leffer and I have been geeking out If we can say that oh, About our uh, about our first uh, interview today As we will be speaking with uh, A noted scholar, uh, author, biographer, researcher But most importantly faithful Catholic man uh, very uh, Who has been very influential in the church in the United States George Weigel, welcome to Real Presence Live
5: Thanks Father Glad to know that I'm not a Lenten penance for you <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> on the contrary it, it feels more like an Easter day in a sense being able to speak with you I have to tell you uh, first of all that uh, there is a happy coincidence in my own family my mother's maiden name is Weigel and uh, right. not to uh, not to suggest that there's any connection too close it probably would go back many generations but when I was a seminarian in the 1990s and your uh, career was coming into greater prominence I uh, delighted in telling my mom about you and some of the work that that you'd been doing so we've claimed a certain amount of pride um, in 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 whatever kinship there may be with you so i just wanted to let you know about that and to uh, and to thank you for that
5: well thank you i my wife was doing some genealogical investigation last year and determined that at least my weigels who arrived in baltimore in the early the early days of the civil war actually were from Hesse which means they were Hessians. Which is not something I like to advertise to the (laughs) American Revolution.
0: (laughs) Well, whether or not you've retained any of that belligerence uh, from... uh... (laughs) I
5: should think that's fairly obvious.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Well, uh, first of all, uh, again, we thank you for joining us this morning. And for those listeners of ours who may not know a lot about you, can you briefly share a little bit uh, about yourself and your background?
5: Well, the the essential data is at the website of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, EPPC.org. I grew up in Baltimore. I have degrees in philosophy and theology. I've worked in the think tank world and various forms of uh, the writing world for the last uh, 40 years or so. And you mentioned, you know, really the pivotal point of my vocational life, which was the the biography of John Paul II uh, and the writing of Witness to Hope and and the, the sequel The End and the Beginning uh, for those who were interested I actually published a memoir of that remarkable experience with John Paul II uh, about a year and a half ago, it's called "Lessons in Hope: My Unexpected Life with Saint John Paul II," and uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a penitential reading. People might find it uh, interesting <laughs> yeah. during life.
3: Well, I, I, you know, I can I can vouch for that. This is Father Leffer. Um, the uh, you know, and the, I, I like Father Gross was in seminary in the 1990s as well, and your writings are very instrumental. I'm Talking about geeking out, I was we both uh, geeked out on uh, Pope John Paul II, where. Uh, you know, I had the fortune of being with you in 1999 in St. Louis when uh, Pope John Paul came to to visit there, and I just before that I just finished your your biography on him, and so I I would strongly strongly encourage anybody um, to to take that up and read. I mean, it, it's more than just the story of his life. Um, but what, what we really want from you is please share with us those personal experiences you had with um, Saint John Paul. Could you do that for us, please?
5: Well, I, you know, the, <laughs> the book I just mentioned is replete with these things, so it's hard to, hard to pick out any, any particular one. Um, uh, I was struck throughout uh, almost 15 years of conversation uh, with the Pope uh, that uh, his, his constant openness, his relentless curiosity... And I came to understand that that was not simply a psychological tick in him. It was a reflection of his Catholic faith. He really believed that providence was at work in history. And, and therefore, you had to be tuned in. You had to be paying attention to what's going on. Uh, and that means not just at the level of headlines and news stories, but, you know, what are the books, what are the articles, what are the arguments going on, what, what, are, what are the movies telling us, uh, what's going on in high culture and popular culture, all of that uh, was, to him, uh, material for reflection on what uh, God is up to in history and what God is asking us to do uh, in that history.
0: And as a man of letters, um, one of the things that many people know, have come to know about uh, Pope St. John Paul II is the sheer sure volume of his writings, definitely during his lengthy pontificate, but before then. Um, can you just kind of explain to us, to give us some idea of the... Prolific nature of this man, uh, this scholar, with um, all of the writings that he has given to us, and and all of the work that we are privileged to do in continuing to unpack what he has uh, what he has given us.
5: I think the best place for people to begin meeting the mind of John Paul II directly is in in the little book he published in 1996 called Crossing the Threshold of Hope. Um he makes very clear at the beginning of that uh, lengthy interview is really what it amounted to that uh... this is not an act of the papal magisterium this is carol Wojtyla, pope john paul II, speaking and he discusses just about every imaginable topic uh... under the sun um, and it it gives you uh... gives the reader a sense of, of how his mind worked where his interests were uh, so rather than than plowing through lots of pre-papal stuff, um, some of which is frankly pretty dense philosophical material, mm-hmm. uh, I think that little uh, interview that he did with Vittorio Massori in the mid-1990s is as good an introduction to the man and his mind as you can find. Uh, then, of course, you can go to Witness to Hope in the end of the beginning.
3: How did Providence allow you to become the biographer of John Paul? I mean, how how did you meet him?
5: Uh, this is described in Lessons to Hope. Uh, it was, um, I think, providential. Certainly, from my point of view, I like to think from his. Uh, we first had our we had our first serious conversation in in 1992 when uh, i presented him with a finished copy of a book he had already read which was my book the final revolution uh, and uh, the book was about how the church had been a key player in the collapse of european communism uh, that was the beginning of our conversation he had read the book in manuscript through a uh, mediation of a of a mutual friend and I think he appreciated it not because I made him the hero, although he was, uh, but because I understood those epic events of, of the 1980s the way he did. Uh, that moral conviction can bend bend history in a more in a more humane uh, direction. Um, the conversation intensified after that. In 1995, I had this crazy idea that I should write his biography. Uh, he agreed uh, with that over a memorable dinner in the uh, papal apartment one night which is actually the beginning uh, of the book lessons and hope and then the whole thing just sort of snowballed from there and we remained in touch until uh, his death and um, we remain in touch of course through prayer today
0: Certainly. What a blessing that was. Uh, Once again, we are speaking with George Weigel, a noted scholar and biographer who, as we're going to mention in just a moment, will be uh, appearing in Rapid City next month for a Palm Sunday brunch event in the Diocese of Rapid City. I had the privilege, along with numerous others from our diocese, of being part of the delegation to World Youth Day in the summer of 2016 in Krakow, the city where uh, Karol Wojtyła was Cardinal Archbishop at the time of his election as uh, Pope John Paul II. And I think it was very striking for us to see that, whereas there is a certain malaise and postmodernism in Europe, uh, where a lot of places have just kind of departed from uh, a, a, a vibrant faith in Jesus, where on the, uh, on the contrary, Poland uh, collectively has really doubled down and uh, has become really an example. Uh, a lot of people may not even realize this about the, um, the, the state of Catholicism in Poland today. So what could you tell us about um, that environment in which uh, pa- Pope John Paul II uh, grew up and ministered and uh, how Poland is really influencing and impacting the church?
5: Uh, Polish Catholicism for hundreds of years was a kind of national safe deposit box of of Polish national identity. For 123 years, between 1795 and 1918, uh, there was nothing labeled Poland on the map of Europe. In 1795, Poland had been carved up by russia prussia and austria and this thousand-year-old state simply disappeared uh... but the nation of poland survived that century and and, uh... and two decades of of exile from the political map of europe uh... through it's uh, culture and at the heart of that culture was was catholic faith so the, the church was a kind of safe deposit box of polish national identity that continued uh... into the twentieth century uh... we have to remember that uh, from nineteen thirty nine to nineteen eighty nine uh... fifty years poland was either under a draconian nazi occupation uh, or a brutal communist occupation and once again, the Church was the safe deposit box of, of national identity. that That's the milieu in which Karol Wojtyla grew up. That's where he learned to be a great defender of everyone's human rights, not just the rights of uh, Catholics. Uh, Poland has its problems today, uh, just like uh, every other uh, country. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a... There is a solid base, I think, of, uh, of faith there. Uh, I think the challenge for Poland today is is really not dissimilar to that for Catholics in the United States. Right. And that is that you know the old ethnic transmission belts for the faith just don't work anymore. Uh, in this country, uh, as you know from your own ministry, Within 10, 20, 30 years, nobody is going to be able to answer the question, why are you a Catholic, by saying because my great-grandmother came from County Cork or Krakow or Bavaria or, you know, Guadalajara or wherever. Uh, Faith uh, as ethnic transmission really doesn't have a chance in the kind of culture we're living in. Uh, the faith has to be proposed. Uh, this is what John Paul II meant by the new evangelization, and that's the same challenge in Poland. Um, they're perhaps beginning from a somewhat more solid base than than we are, but they, but they face the challenges of the new evangelization too.
3: Man, our time is flying by here. We wish I had a whole whole hour with you. The um, but three weeks from now, you're going to be uh, coming to our area in Rapid City. And the Catholic Social Services, they're having a Palm Sunday brunch, and uh, George Weigel is going to be the keynote speaker for that. Um, do you enjoy coming out to places like uh, South Dakota and, and sharing uh, your experience with people? I do.
5: I do, Father. I mean, I, I've lived in the swamp for 35 years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Our condolences.
5: It's, it's nice, nice to get out to fly over country <laughs> and meet me meet real people. Uh, I've been in Rapid City several times, Bishop Cruz is an old friend, so I'm looking forward uh, to coming back and uh, you know, meeting some more folks, talking a bit about how John Paul II uh, uh, taught us about the empowerment of poor people. Uh, poor people are not to be treated as objects of pity there to be treated as people with potential and the church is there to help them unleash that potential. That'll be the overarching theme of my remarks on Palm Sunday.
0: Wonderful. And uh, are you anticipating getting a chance to uh, see the area at all, or are you going to have to whisk in and whisk out?
5: No, I'm going to actually, I want to see Crazy Horse before they before the politically correct uh, police <laughs> take him down. You know,
0: so. <laughs> Fantastic, and it will be a beautiful time of the year to be there in the uh, in the gorgeous Black Hills. Well, once again, as Father Leffer had said, we wish we had had more time with you, but we're very grateful for what we have. Uh, George Weigel, thank you so much. Safe travels to you and blessings in your continued work. We'll
5: see you in Rapid City, I hope.
0: Fantastic. Thanks.
5: Well, it's time God for bless.
0: God bless you. It's time for our first break of the morning and when we return, if you've been away from the church and the sacrament of confession, it's time to come home. We'll share you, we'll share how the light is always on and how it's never too late to know God's mercy. Plus get your questions ready for straight talk. We're getting ready to take on any topic. All this when Real Presence Live continues.
1: This is Real Presence Live. Local, engaging, live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Here's a programming note. Monday, March 25th, marks the solemnity of the Annunciation of the Lord. As we celebrate, we'll have some special programming. At 5 a.m. Central, we'll bring you the Sunrise Morning Show. Morning Glory will follow at 6 and the Daily Mass at 7. Then at 3 p.m. Central, you'll hear Cresta in the afternoon. Finally, at 9 p.m., it'll be the encore of Open Line. Please tune in as we celebrate the Annunciation of the Lord, Monday, March 25th.
4: This is Father Brian Quiava of the Diocese of Crookston. One of my favorite things in the entire world is spending time in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. You know, Jesus gives himself to us in his body and his blood in the Holy Eucharist, and it's such a gift for him to be, like, living in our midst in a very special and unique way. He's with us in the Holy Eucharist where he gives us his body and his blood, not only for us to consume at Holy Mass and Holy Communion, but also so that we can go to Him periodically throughout the day, periodically throughout the week, throughout the months, uh, whatever it is, to spend time with Him, just to simply adore Him, to offer our prayers to Him, to offer our suffering, to talk to Him about our joys and, and our struggles, to just simply be with Him. So I just really want to encourage you to, to find a church where the Blessed Sacrament is found and to spend some time there just to adore Jesus and simply be with Him and to rest with Him in silence. Hi, this is Brett Beiler, Area Account Executive with Real Presence Radio. Did you know the signal of Real Presence Radio reaches an audience of over 2.1 million people across North Dakota, Minnesota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Wyoming? Have you ever thought about running radio spots on the RPR network? We want to partner with you to help gain exposure for your business in front of a very faithful customer base. To find out more about your options, please call me, Brett Beiler, at 605-670-8333. This is Real
1: Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you local hosts and guests from across the region. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone,
0: to Real Presence Live on a Thursday morning. Father Jason Leffer and Father James Gross joining you here from our Grand Fork studios. Later on, in just a few minutes, we're going to begin our straight talk segment. And there are a couple of different ways that you can weigh in with any questions that you want to pose to us. Uh, You can uh, log on to our Facebook page and leave questions there, or you can call us 877-795-0122 is that toll-free number. We look forward to hearing from you, and that will be coming up very soon. But first, we have an important conversation with regard to the season of Lent and the encouragement that we want to give our brothers and sisters to continue to avail ourselves of God's mercy. And uh, to talk about that, we have uh, S- Dr. Susan Winley doust with us from the Diocese of Winona, Rochester. Uh, welcome to Real Presence Live.
6: Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, could you just begin by uh, giving us a little bit of um, uh, orientation on the work that you do there, how long you've been uh, in that position with the diocese?
6: Um, sure, I'm Director of Missionary Discipleship, and I'm pretty new. Uh, I've been here since last July, and it's a okay. new position for the diocese.
0: Right, that's, that's part of the lingo that I think within the last decade has really become more and more prevalent with regard oh. to parish and diocesan-wide uh, ministry, so that sounds yeah. like a, sounds like a, an adventurous position to be in.
6: It's really exciting I love the work I I love the opportunity to talk to parishes and the people within parishes about how we deepen our own uh, discipleship walk with the Lord and most importantly how we share that with others
3: well let's let's just jump right into it then as far as missionary discipleship goes what what is the sacrament of confession and inviting people back to that sacrament what does that have to do with
1: discipleship
6: Um, a lot (laughs) i'm glad you asked. now i the thing is um, we're really at a time period where we need to more than ever reach out to people who have drifted away from the church and i mean this is just really so common across the united states and you know it's happening in the upper midwest too and one of the most you know time-honored ways in fact theologically appropriate ways to invite people who have drifted away back is like you know you should really take advantage of the great gift of the sacrament of reconciliation. And it's often one of the things that is holding them back, right? They don't know how to return. No, 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 this is how you return, right? You share what you've done wrong before someone who is sitting in persona Christi, and you receive the graces and the mercy of reconciliation, and it heals you in a way that you can go ahead and really live out that life of discipleship. In the midst of the Lord's church, in you know, in a new and fresh way.
3: W- would you say that there's something to that, or, or how, maybe a better way? To put it, how important is it that somebody personally? take them by the hand, have a conversation, give a witness of their own experience of God's mercy, what it's like to go to confession, and, and literally just walk with them, and or introduce them to Father, or, or to take them to a penance service, or what's is, is that the critical thing, is that personal contact?
6: I think it's really important that we get more comfortable talking about um, the gift of reconciliation, because even people who are very devoted um, to the sacramental practice of it often are uncomfortable talking about it, and I understand why, of course, I mean I'm not saying that people should uh, spill out their sins for, for all to see all the time, necessarily, um but we need to be able to talk about the gift of mercy right and you never know who you're around who really needs to hear that hear that particular message so if you do know absolutely um you know try to offer that conversation like you know I'm going to Reconciliation this week. It's like, this has been such a blessing in my life. It's like, you know, would you like to come? (laughs) I mean, there are lots of different ways to do it that's really dependent upon your relationship, but um, that's part of what we're doing this Lent, at least within our diocese, is try to think of ways to encourage people to bring others with them, as well as, obviously, go themselves
0: we are visiting with dr. Winley Doust from the Diocese of Winona Rochester um, doctor I think uh, I speak for uh, virtually all of us priests to say that we inwardly rejoice and rejoice greatly when someone receives the sacrament of reconciliation after an extended period of time having been away even you know many many years that sort of thing we understand that it can be an intimidating thing just to think about that you know it'd, right. it'd be very awkward what do I do you You know how do I go about it? That sort of thing. So for those perhaps listening right now who haven't been to confession in a considerable amount of time, um, what uh, kind of uh, encouragements would you give? What would you want to say to them?
6: Well, I would say a number of things. I mean, one of the things that I would say is, you know, um, it's interesting that I'm in this position I'm in now because you know I have a history as a bad Catholic, Um, and there was a 16-year perfect for the job. I know. That's what people keep telling me.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We know how to flattery, gal, don't we? You know know what doesn't work, so let's try what does work.
6: Well, you know, seriously, when I was younger, there was a 16-year period where I did not go to sacramental reconciliation. And, you know, there was a reason for that. I was sitting on something that I was really scared to confess. And what I would say to anybody who has been away for a long time is, you know, the reality of living with unconfessed sin was actually much, much, much harder than the act of actually going to confession. You know, if there's something that's resistant in you to that, it's like I think you should sit back and think. You know, this is that resistance is not coming from God, because God only wants to offer His mercy. And when I returned after many years away, um, it was a it was a good experience. Um, but it was not nearly as painful or awkward as I thought it was going to be for many years, and you, you, my life afterward was just so much better.
3: You you, you, yeah. de- you just described the perfect weight loss program that everybody needs for Lent. <laughs> if you want That's to lose weight, to put it. yeah, if you want to lose weight, the quickest way to lose weight is go to confession. No, you know, it you, really you, is true. You it feel really like you're floating when you just, come out.
6: I would just encourage people to make a plan and do it. He, he, Put it you know, on your calendar. Here's
3: another thing that I, th- I think is important. Maybe you could speak to this one. You know, we're, we're, different parishes do it in different times, but, you know, a season of first confessions, and as a priest uh, for a number of years now, I, I can look across and realize, well, we bring in these children first confession, work really hard for it to be a positive experience and so forth, but basically, whatever their parents' attitude towards this sacrament or to God's mercy is what the child's going to adopt. And so right. if the parents themselves are not, reconciled or they're under the weight of years of sin i mean it's kind of hopeless for the children to, to make it could you speak to that a little bit
6: well absolutely i mean i think you just summed it up i mean parents really are the first formators of their children and the children watch everything the parents do and uh, you know as a parent myself find out like that, that that could be pretty weedy <laughs> but i mean one of the most beautiful gifts that we can give our children is just a consistent practice of sacramental reconciliation and bringing them along so they're used to it they never get out of practice you know they continue to have good experiences with it um yeah i mean this is part of our vocation the parenthood and it it just bears such great fruit so i would strongly mm-hmm. encourage you if you aren't doing that bring your kids this lent um, and You know, I would recommend once a month, but, you know, do it a number of times that feels appropriate for your family and make it a regular
0: habit. We just have a few seconds left here, um, Doctor. Uh, So um, we want to talk about the initiative just very briefly that uh, the Diocese of Winona, Rochester is doing this Lent, something that I've seen in other parts of the United States called The Light is On. Can you just briefly tell us about that?
6: Yeah, absolutely. If anybody wants to look it up, um, our website is thelightisarnsouthernmn.org, and basically it's an outreach program for people who have long been away from the sacrament to welcome them into our parishes, particularly the weekend of um, March 29th through 31st, but honestly, anytime, just go and make an appointment with a priest or look for the regular times.
0: Wonderful, Dr. Susan Winley Douse, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and uh, blessings in your continued ministry.
6: Thank you, same to you.
0: Wonderful. Yes, it, it, the the light is on, no matter what the time is, right? No matter what season. <laughs> thank you very much. And here we go. It's time for our straight talk segment here on Real Presence Live as Father Jason Leffer is uh, joining me Father James Gross to speak to your questions and concerns and to discuss some of the important events that are happening in the church today
3: and the phone number which you can join us 877-795-0122, 877-795-0122 completely toll free Across our listening area, eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two, or you may uh, link in on Facebook, um, so you can call in. And again, it's uh, questions, concerns, comments, issues that are on your heart, um, that that are really important to you, and the whole gamut. And we're even interested in worldly things. I think as Catholics in the world. Things that you're experiencing, and um, we we love it when people call in, uh, even if you don't think it's important. Father Gross and I will make it important, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Absolutely, and even if you might be thinking, "Well, I don't know, this seems like a silly question, something that maybe you know," it, it, I'm kind of embarrassed to ask. Please don't feel that way at all. We're more than happy to, uh, yeah, we're more than happy to receive those calls and those uh, and those questions. And
3: the other thing is, we really want to hear from you because really father gross and i we have no problem filling up a half hour of talking and listening to ourselves talk twist our arms really we want to hear you and what's in your heart and your mind so it's 877-795-0122 you know uh two segments ago, with, uh, uh dr george weigel yes you and i were both just stimulated mm-hmm. by him in our formation years as priests um you brought something in off air about something that really hit you. Could you share that with us, Father? Yeah, Gress?
0: you know, I, I don't know exactly how long ago it's been, um, but I remember it was a little intimidating. It was before the time of uh, iBooks that I, I read a lot of things on my tablet. But uh, you know, so witness to hope. It, it's not a slim volume, you no, know. It it, uh, it takes a while, but just the the, the various stories um, and. Perhaps because of my youth, I didn't quite realize how revolutionary it was that John Paul II was making all of these pastoral visits to the very corners of the earth, and that there were dozens of countries in which Catholics and others said, you know, I never have seen, you know, a pope in in person or you know in in our country and in this case it did happen. So, um, there's there are several very memorable stories especially when he traveled to places with a certain amount of civil unrest, uh, Nicaragua in the 1980s, uh, late in his pontificate he went to the former Soviet Republic of Kazakhstan, you know, you just think about not only the miles logged in terms of that practical sense, but his uh, apostolic desire to bring the message of christ to as many people as he could in as innovative of ways as he could um those who are millennials now you know really have no personal memory of that those early days the early years of his pontificate and uh, how revolutionary that that sam- that uh, that
3: example was the you know and um and, and and with that too, I think um, lo- what a lot of people don't realize. They say in the history of humanity, so the history of the whole world from beginning to the end, the single, the one human being who personally met the most people in the world, right. Pope John Paul II. He personally mm-hmm. took the gospel to the whole world to everybody, and he had. I think one of the things that simple things inspired me was he had no fear. He, he was not afraid to go into any situation and bring the gospel. The light into the darkness, the, yeah. the the truth that sets us free.
0: Yeah, just a fabulous example. So we're we have a, a lot of great uh, a lot of great questions that are coming in. So why don't we go ahead and begin with um, Karen, who is calling from Adams. Karen, welcome to Straight Talk on Real Presence Live.
6: Good morning, fathers. How are you, how is your day going?
0: Excellent, thank you.
6: Good. What's your question? My question, my question is from. One of the readings last week, it's chapter 3 of Jonah, where God tells Jonah to, um, you know, to go to Nineveh and announce Mm -hmm. his message. But in the, the very last verse, chapter, verse 10, it says, when God saw by their actions how they had turned from their evil way, he repented of the evil he had threatened to do to them, and he did not carry it out. I don't understand because God doesn't make a mistake. What does that mean? He repented of his evil.
3: Yeah. Oh, you know that—that's a great, great question. And you know, one of the things here uh, that we're going to bump into is just uh, translation. And so, I'm not sure which translation you're looking at, but. Uh, the one that's here in front of me, the 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 word is actually relented. He relented. So a diminishing, or so it, it'd be interesting to know what the word is in the actual Hebrew yeah. th- that's there. So obviously there could be different meanings, but it seems like the 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 this verb that's being used. The the gist of it is a diminishment or a or a taking down of um, what was going on. So what what this translation says is. Um, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction which he had threatened them with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, so again, not to get just in the the weeds or the nuts and bolts of of translation, but I think, so to kind of generalize here a little bit, I I think the the idea of what's going on here is how um, God actually does punish he does punish and a lot of us think that you know like a lightning bolt's going to come from the sky and I, I think sometimes i wish it was that simple or that straightforward right we do something wrong right father gross and god zaps you with electric current and you oh gosh that was wrong i should i should turn yeah turn right. from my ways mm-hmm. but the number one way that god actually punishes us if he is he lets us have what we want he he first gives us a warning and he says No, no no don't don't go that way this is not good for you don't do it but if we persist and we keep going it, it'll, it'll say God will relax his relationship with us, He will allow us to experience it and then the, the evil comes upon us. The definition of evil there is the absence of God. So literally he takes his absence from us, he lets us experience what we're having and that's our punishment is less relationship with him and and then we, we get the wor- the world or Satan or the flesh has its way with us yeah So the other hand, the other thing is true as well. If, if I turn from the absence of God, I turn back towards God, mm-hmm. so what happens then, I have a more full relationship with God. If I have a more full relationship with God, those effects of, of Satan, of the world of the flesh, lessen, mm-hmm. and, and the pain or the suffering that was there, actually, I, I end up with more relationship with God. So that in a general way, that's the overarching idea of that passage or what's happening there. It's about movement from God, movement back towards God, and, and God's an active agent in it. Mm-hmm. He, he's not a static thing. He's he's active. He's alive, and this is what conversion. Yeah. Is about.
0: Right. So the, the terminology of repenting of the evil that he had threatened to carry out, he uh, relented from carrying out the, the act in justice and uh, chose to respond in mercy to the, uh, the the repentance and the deeds of repentance of the people from Nineveh. Thank you very much for that question. We appreciate it, Karen. And please call again sometime. Have a wonderful day. And. Thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. Let's turn next to uh, the oil patch in western North Dakota. Mark is calling from Watford City. Uh, welcome to Real Presence Live. Oh, Bonnie. I'm sorry. Uh, let's actually talk to um, Bonnie, who is calling in from Hermosa, South Dakota. And uh, welcome to Real Presence Live. Thank you. And what's your question, question for us today?
2: Well, my question is, um, I have found out that my on my husband's side of the family, um, his father uh, was previously married and he went off to, he was actually in World War one and when he came back she had abandoned him and I don't know whether he got divorced um, or <laughs> I have no idea and then he remarried to my husband's mother and they had several children and yesterday I Heard on the radio, I was listening in the afternoon, that a lady said that if two Catholics are married outside of the church, that they are not married and that all of their children are basically illegitimate. And what I need to know is how do I find out? Where do I check with the church um, to find out if right. my so, father in law and mother in law were not really married? And sure. If, Y- you know, uh, illegitimacy and what? And then what do we do to correct it? They're sure. both gone.
3: They're oh, okay. So that was my first question: Are they are they living or are they deceased? So if they're deceased, no, they're
2: both deceased.
3: Now, do do you do you know like where the place of their baptism, where either one of them Well, first of all, were they Catholic? Like both the See, your father-in-law. And that's, and that's
2: the other thing. Um, my father-in-law was yes. He he was uh, he was actually born in uh, Italy. Okay. And then came okay. to the United States. But, sure, so th- okay, um, my mother-in-law that- wouldn't talk about it. Um okay. she just she got embarrassed because she came in late right. with the kids at church and the priest chastised her in front of the whole congregation and she would yes. never go back. So Yeah, first of all, I don't know a, she'd never tell me.
3: It's unfortunate to you know to hear stories uh, like that where people feel so hurt and and that Okay, so you, it's an uphill battle here, challenge, uh, but not impossible. Okay. Um, you'd have to do a little research. The, the, the place to start is where your father-in-law was baptized. Okay, so that, that'll be the place that, to, to find out where that was, wherever that church is. It's in Italy, so there's going to be a language and distance barrier, but not impossible. You can mm-hmm. do a little research, but what you're after here is to seek a, a baptismal certificate from him. In in that baptismal certificate, it should it should indicate their um, his sacraments and and if he was he was married. Now that'd be the starting point. In there, if all things were done properly, it would say when he got married. If if there was a divorce and an om- annulment that took place, and if he got married again in the church, odds are pretty good by pursuing that you're going to discover that it's not there or so forth. But it, it'll give you a starting point where it is, um, and and there, there might be leads then that you could follow, follow up with that. Um, the other thing is to, if if you know where they went to church while they were living and what parish that was, to you could you could seek out if there's any records there in those parishes. I'm my my that I in, know.
2: I know that. Yeah, I know the church that.
3: Okay, my that he went to. Yeah, my intuition. My instinct here is based on your your mother-in-law's response. It sounds like there there's probably um, a civil remarriage and and that they were they were active in raising the children catholic but it's possible they themselves were not receiving the sacrament the reason i say that is by that response from that story you told about your mother-in-law who she would not speak about it she'd get embarrassed and she she her personal experience was having been humiliated by the priest or something so yeah. you know those are indicators that there there probably was something irregular with their relationship with the church and and the sacrament um, but that would be your starting point and I would pursue that parish maybe where you know and, and to seek if there's any sacramental records or history there because the, the the priest needs to record these things when they, they take place and if they've had any relationship uh, there.
0: Right, so that if somebody, if we, as a, either Father Leffer or I, are working with somebody in preparing for marriage, for you know, let's say, we always have to revert back to the parish of the person's baptism with regard to record keeping. And as far as we know, as far as we can hope, there is you know a trail there with regard to those records. So that's uh, the advice that we would give you
3: today. And and then you know, here here's something else. So, because uh, you're the question you're asking is has hard to do with legitimacy. Okay, so correct. Th- this is a term. So I want I just want people to calm down. So, in countries or nations where canon law is the law of the land. That then that has to do the this question of legis- legitimacy comes in because then it that has to do with handing on titles to of honor or titles of land and that kind of a thing. In, in our day, canon law, for the most part, I think, except for one little tiny country in Europe, maybe or maybe some in Africa, canon law is not the law that oversees civil things. Okay, so when 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 you come to a question, the, the, there's no person before God who's illegitimate in the sense that. That, that they were not created in the image and likeness of God. Okay, and there's no person who is who is outside of being welcomed into the church to receive baptism or the grace of the sacraments. And, and so, when it comes to, like, say, a couple got divorced, and people have this question all the time: well, "Does that make me, who's their child, illegitimate?" No, it does not. It's not. It's not a statement on on the child. Now, if children were conceived in a in a marriage that was not valid in in the church. That that does not prevent those children from receiving the sacraments or coming forward, and it and it sounds like no matter what the situation was with your 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 father-in-law and and mother-in-law, that they did raise the children in the church. So, in spite of yes. whatever their mm-hmm. difficulty was, so I hope that brings some comfort. Yes. Okay.
0: All right.
2: That yeah, that was the thing because of, we were discussing it and said, well, if you're illegitimate, then we need to find out what to do to make you legitimate. <laughs>
0: Indeed, yes. Well, let let not your heart be troubled. Uh, Thank you very much for that call today, Bonnie. We appreciate it, and have a wonderful day. All right. God's blessing to you. Thank Thank you, you. and the same to you. Uh, Father Edge, I had uh, jumped the gun just a couple of moments ago. We do have Mark from Watford City with us right now. Mark, welcome to Real Presence Live. Thank you. Um, Go ahead. um,
2: My question is,
5: My daughter has a a child and she wants to wait to baptize, and I wanted to know um, what the reason was for the Church Mm -hmm. baptizing as infants.
0: That's a great question, especially when we live in a context where there are a lot of Protestant denominations that would frown upon such practice. Uh, the first thing that I would say is that each and every one of the seven sacraments is a gift. It is not a prize that can be earned you know, necessarily because of uh, one's qualifications, but is a gift that can be received. And Faith is one of the things that is received by the recipient of baptism. How is that possible? Well, in someone who is too young to be able to speak for themselves, we like to use the analogy of a seed, that uh, in seed form, so to speak, that gift of faith is given and uh, bestowed, uh, infused in the soul of the person, so that as he or she grows, that gift can continue to grow within them. I would just also briefly, um, before Father Leffer weighs in on this, uh, speak about a couple of references. In Acts of the Apostles, um, in chapters Ten and sixteen, I believe, where it 's mentioned that an entire household is brought into the practice of Christianity in addition to just an individual adult who approaches one of the apostles and has an experience of conversion that is a very um, that, that is a very authoritative sort of thing in terms of our practice and whom we baptize and why it is even at the very youngest ages it, so it 's not just something of. You know, removing a defect. Although we do want to remove the stain of original sin, there's more to it than that.
3: You, and you know, so good Father Gross, And I, the only thing I think I would add on that is just on that practical level of like the, just the pastoral relationship between you and your daughter and, and with your grandchild. And and I would just take a very kind of down to earth approach with her and walk to her and say, you know, honey. um you love your child and you know from the moment that the child was born you you brought your child home you you clothed your child you you fed your child you protected your child you're educating your child you're loving your every good thing you can think of that your child needs you're providing and doing this for them and it isn't just physical needs your the your grandchild has a soul and that soul needs to be fed as well or cared for so you wouldn't do something silly like bring them home and put the child on the kitchen table and say, hey, when you're 16, you can decide if you want to wear clothes or not, or when you're 16, you can decide if you want to go to school or not, or when you're 16, you can decide to eat food or not or receive medicine or not. So the soul is as, if not more important than the body or physical needs, and the soul is crying out for the grace of God. And so God has entrusted that child to your daughter and, and, her, and the father of the child, and they have a moral responsibility to provide spiritually for their child as well. And one of the most basic things we do is to have that child baptized that they might begin this face-to-face relationship with God.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, be assured that we'll remember uh, you and your family uh, in our prayers, Mark. and uh, just as an aside, um, my first cousin is the pastor there at Epiphany in Watford City, Father Brian Gross and I'm sure he'd be He's
3: a good man. He
0: would be more He's than happy to man. assist however however he can. So thank you so much for calling in today. Thank you. Okay, all right. And uh, we have another caller on the line who is uh, visiting with us from South Dakota. Melissa, welcome to Straight Talk on Real Presence Live.
6: Hi. I love EWTN, and God bless you for your work.
0: Thank you so much for listening. My
6: question is, you bet, um, I have a couple of two-part questions. When somebody tragically dies in an accident Mm -hmm. and they're younger or, you know, it's just totally unexpected, obviously, you know, oftentimes people say there's a reason that that happened, and I oftentimes wonder, you know, does that mean that God is saving them from a tragedy later, or a long sickness, or is it, or do we have a set time and date that God has mm. kind of planted for each person in the world?
3: Yeah, you, you know, this is a this is kind of one of those both and answers to this question. So, so on the one hand, um, God has divine providence. He He holds all things, all things in His hands, and He He knows all things, and and is, oversees all things. And one way it was explained to me once is that it's like if you go and sit up on a high mountain, and you look down, and you can see where two roads cross, and there's two cars that are coming together, and you see they're going to crash. You know, just because you have the knowledge doesn't mean that you're going to prevent them from crashing although you can see what's going to happen it takes place that that's kind of one way of looking at it but but in another way god is a personal god as well and, and and he is in all details that that are taking place so a, a direct answer to this would be yes i mean god knows the the date the time the circumstances of our death how just as how he allowed us to come into existence in this world through his love. He, he also knows uh, when when we are going to depart. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand of this, and this is the thing that I think we don't give enough credit to, God created us as free beings, and that's necessary because of love. Love is not possible without freedom. In he, God has great respect for us, and we are co-operators with, her, co- with him, co-authors with him, co-everything co- with him. And so, God gives room for our choices, our decisions, and the consequences and the effects of our choices and our decisions. And so He He does this incredible, beautiful drama or theater or play. What do we say of those two things coming together? His divine providence and and our our personal um, relationship with that. So the the, the comfort is this no sparrow falls to the earth that God does not know about or that God is not in charge. On the other hand as a loving father he gives room for us to exercise our freedom in that process and and what happens. The The other very simple truth of this is each one of us because of our father Adam has to face into death each one of us will experience a personal death and so for some of us it happens soon and maybe in tragic circumstances for others it happens after a long time and, and, and slow or just boring circumstances each one of us faces this mystery of death um, and, and God is there to say I've come here you do not have to face this alone I've gone before you in Christ Jesus, I show you the way, I'm here to comfort you and, and walk you through.
0: Another thing I was thinking of, Father, i was just remembering in my seminary days we had an iron-willed Jesuit professor who, um, uh, you, in dogmatic theology, uh, talked about the will of God as being understood in two senses, that there is an antecedent will and a consequent will because of the gift of free will, so to speak, that is given to human beings. In, I believe it's one of the letters to Timothy, St. Paul says that God wills that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That is true. We rest on that, and we have no doubt about that whatsoever. So there is an antecedent will there. Now, the consequent will of God, you might say, is to permit... Uh, things in the world to happen as they happen even if it is experienced tragically when you say you know a car accident it's really a disservice by a lot of people who mean well to say well you know there was a uh, you know a time and a purpose and, and all of the rest of it I mean that doesn't diminish the grief that one experiences, but we must not think of God as this, you know, heartless ogre who is having to be satisfied somehow by doing this. That's where, you know, uh, John Calvin, you know, sowed all sorts of problems as the the Presbyterian uh, reformer with a double predestination, that some people are meant from the very beginning to be united with God and others are meant to be, you know, damned in hell forever. Uh, do we think of God as this vengeance, uh, filled character who's sitting at his keyboard i remember there was a far side cartoon where there was a button on the keyboard that said smite you know and his (laughs) finger was hovering over that button you know wanting to take some uh waif you know out of out of the world's history that sort of thing And, and i don't mean to sound flippant by it but a lot of harm can be done by making those sorts of suggestions it is not you know when we speak of the will of god and how that relates to the tragic events that happen in the world. It is not as though that is satisfying some bloodlust. It is because of the way
3: things are. You know, and and one other little thing I want to say on this, because I've come across this a lot just in pastoral experience of people, especially when there's maybe a a baby or child or young woman or tragic circumstances where they die, um, people will say, they'll make well-meaning comments. They'll say something like, Oh, now you have a little angel. In God heaven. needed an angel. Okay, yeah. now and there's a popular song, Christian song right now about how humans die; they become angels before the throne of God. What I want to say about that is, n- no, that's not true. Not not because to not be compassionate, we are human beings before God. We we don't become angels, and 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 the thing is, we're greater than the angels in eternal life. And so, to help people understand god has a saint before the throne of god and the the full <laughs> dignity creating the image and likeness of of god himself which is so beautiful and the glory the dignity of the human even the little the littlest baby uh who is to die that that is extremely pleasing before god in eternal life exactly so hopefully
0: that uh, was was helpful information for you thank you so much for calling in today
6: thank you very much you're welcome and
0: uh, our uh, our 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 crack staff has uh, is, has is brought up that very Far Side cartoon,
3: and the poor fella, he's got God has a smite button, and there's a piano, and he's trying to make up his mind if the piano is going to fall on this poor man or not. Suspended
0: by ropes above somebody, you know, who's walking on the street below. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So if you if you Google Far Side, God at his computer, it'll come right up for you. So yeah. Thank you very much to everyone who called in in our Straight Talk segment. We do have a couple of minutes left before uh, the bottom of the hour here. Um, let's just talk briefly about an important day coming up this coming Monday, the Annunciation, and we call it a Solemnity. So what in the world do we mean by this?
3: Well, Solemnity, and its uh, just on the face of it, means the, the highest feast, the highest form. Um, but there's so, you and I were talking off air, there's so many incredible details about this day. The first thing I want to do, I want to I make a connection. This, this past week here, we celebrated the Great feast of saint joseph the husband of mary and i want people to count and they'll realize it's seven days or we could say the octave before the annunciation and that's not accidental that that date is chosen because we're establishing saint joseph the the one who provides a home before uh the woman and the child and so then the annunciation of course is when the angel gabriel comes and and announces to mary and mary agrees to allow uh, the son of god to be conceived in her womb so that he is also the son of man, the son of God, the son of man, and um, there's some things about the date, March 25th. What, what do you know about that? Well, that's
0: where the, the that's where the um, uh, the the terminus is, so to speak, with regard to calculating the the date of Christmas. That we start with March 25th and this wondrous encounter between the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Archangel Gabriel, and calculating out nine months from that, we come to the 25th of December. Christmas Are you Day. Saying we're supposed
3: to get our shopping? We're supposed to get focused on getting our Christmas. (laughs) shopping
0: (laughs) (laughs) is there some special online sale you know Annunciation Monday or something you know but uh, anyway if if whatever floats your boat man right but basically we're talking about um, this great celebration which will be experienced at weekday mass in your given parish where it will be celebrated um, much like a Sunday with a full complement of readings with the use of the Gloria which is suppressed during Lent with uh, the reciting of the Creed and the invitation to genuflect during the two line phrase when we talk about by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was incarnate to the Virgin Mary and became man. So uh, take a highlighter and, and note the 25th of March as an important day coming up. And uh, I know we're looking forward to you it You know, there's as well. so
3: many incredible things about this. Like, um, you, you know me, I get excited about this little stuff. We can go on. But that date, March 25th, how often... Can you think in your priesthood, March twenty fifth has fallen on Good Friday, just yeah. in the twenty years that we've mm-hmm. been priests. I think it's like three times already. Right. And anyway, there's I would love people give you go do research on March twenty fifth, the date. It'll blow your mind about yeah. how it's connected with creation and redemption, salvation. Right.
0: Annunciation sometimes is transferred to after Easter when when Easter comes early. So uh, thanks to all of those who called in or submitted your questions. This segment comes up nine thirty central time every Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And coming up will We'll be visiting with Father Craig Timmerman to share his thoughts about Lenten penances. Later, the value of a seminarian's formation as he prepares for the priesthood. Keep it right here as Real Presence Live continues on the Real Presence Radio Network.